Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Reverend Steve Andrews. Today's text from Revelation chapter 16 not only gives us the seven censers or the seven bowls, but it also introduces us to that place name, the name of the final battle of creation, Armageddon. And we're going to talk about that word in just a bit. We read the text. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one. Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl in the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Harmageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island flew away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of hail, because the plague was so severe. This is the word of the Lord. So we've been through now our three cycles of seven in the book of Revelation. Chapter 6 gave us the seven seals, chapter 8 and 9 gave us the seven trumpets, and now chapter 16 gives us the seven bowls. All three of these are the repetition of the events that are going to play out over the course of time from the ascension until the second coming. Here, these events are going to focus on the wrath of God that is meant to bring about not only perhaps judgment and justice, 
but also repentance. It's a theme that we see in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. So oftentimes, God works how he does in order to bring about repentance in people. Obvious connections to the Exodus plagues, again, are going to be in this chapter, just as they were in, in the seven trumpets. I would encourage you here, let your children identify with these different bowls, the matching Exodus plague. See if they can match them up um, by their numbers. And I'll do that for you as we go through here. Um, but part of the Exodus plagues, Exodus chapter 7, verse 5, we learned very specifically God did the plagues in order to let the Egyptians know that he alone was God. That they would turn away from worshiping their false gods and that they would follow him alone. So there is a call for repentance. And just as we see in the Old Testament account that Pharaoh at first is hardening his own heart, um, not repenting, then eventually God ends up hardening his heart as well. You see that distinction about halfway through. We have a halfway distinction here as well. The first three bowls, we don't get anything about whether or not the people were repenting. But with bowl four and five, there's a shift. And suddenly we do get this message. Unfortunately, it is not a message that they've repented, but the other way, that they lack that repentance. And that's not the first time either that we've seen that in this book. We've seen them before, this idea that God was trying to bring about repentance, but that they rejected it. They resisted his, his call for their, their confession of sins. Dr. Brighton in this commentary suggests that what we have in this third set is really an intensified vision from the previous set of, of the trumpets, because this is that last and final warning. It's basically been ramping up. You know, if the first one didn't bring you to repentance, maybe this one will. But again, as we saw with the fourth and the fifth angels, sadly, sorrowfully, it does not. There is no excuse for the people. All right, so the bowls are going to bring about God's judgment, his wrath. The first angel, verse 2, that bowl brings about basically boils, painful sores. That matches up with the sixth plague. Uh, and it's only on those who bore the mark of the beast. This, like many of the plagues in Exodus, did not impact the faithful, God's people in Israel. Um, well, actually, they were living in Goshen. Um, here also, this plague does not strike the faithful. It's only on those who wear the mark of the beast. And then the second angel, with the and the second and the third one, both with water turning into blood, that mirrors the first plague from the book of Exodus. Just are you. So God is righteous. He is perfect. And then we get the divine title, who is and who was. We've seen that title in the book a couple of times already. He is the one bringing about these judgments. They have shed the blood of the saints. Those who bear the mark of the beast, the beast himself, have killed Christians. They've made martyrs. And God is now avenging them. The note that it is what they deserve. Yeah. As sinners, it's also what we deserve. So we praise the Lord for his mercy and for the gift of Christ who has forgiven our sins. And we pray that those who are currently being deceived by the unholy trinity, the devil, the beast, and the false prophet, we'll talk about them in a little bit, that they would be led to 
repent, as there is still time. Christ has not yet returned. Verse 7, even the place of sacrifice, the place of atonement, which is the altar, is now crying out here. It is on that place that God justified his saints by forgiving our sins. And now that forgiveness is ours. Even that place knows that the Lord is just. The fourth angel matches up with the, the seventh plague, which is described really as hail and fire in Exodus. So the fourth and the seventh angels, bowls, have you know fire and hail going on. These curse the name of God. So not only do they not repent, but they actually recognize God as the one who is in control. He is the all-powerful. But instead of repenting and believing, they get angry at him. So that is a change, at least. The fifth angel, the fifth bowl, brings about darkness, which matches the ninth plague in the book of Exodus. They also curse God again. And then the sixth angel, the sixth bowl, is going to bring about Harmageddon. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Um, you do see frogs mentioned here, so a bit of a parallel to the second plague in, in the Exodus account. We can ask our children on this, where does some of the wrath um, of this bowl come from? And the conversation here ends up turning to the battle. So much of Revelation feels like it's building towards this giant battle between good and evil, between God and the devil. The battle never happens in the book. And this, this gives us, between verses 12 through 21 here, this gives us as much as we're going to get. The battle is set. The stage is set for the battle to take place at Harmageddon. And it's just over. Right? Read verse 17. It is done. What do you mean it's done? They never fought. They did. That's going to be another question that we can ask to our children. But let's get back to that. Let's look at the unholy trinity first. Um, of this sixth angel's bowl, we have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. So we've had two beasts in Revelation. The first beast is a political beast. The second is a religious beast. So the religious beast here takes on a new name. It's called the false prophet instead of the, the second beast. But the same three that we saw back in chapters 12 and 13, those very same three, that unholy trinity, present here as well. They're the ones who are gathering the world together for war. War with who? It's war against God. This is the ultimate battle. We get verse 15, a little bit of a reminder that God comes like a thief, and he blesses those who stay awake, a reference to those of us who, who don't get persuaded by the Lord to by the world to think that everything's okay but rather we stay alert we realize that we are living in a world of darkness surrounded by sin and that we are called by god to trust in him above all always and know that he is coming and he's coming soon don't get caught naked uh, don't get caught exposed don't let your sins be revealed
but trust in Christ for that forgiveness. All right, so now they assemble at the place. The only mention of Armageddon in the whole Bible, and I've been reading it as Harmageddon very intentionally because it's from Hebrew, and that's what the Hebrew would say. Um, Greek has a, a way of putting a soft or a hard beginning in front of a word. So when a Greek word begins with a vowel, they put an apostrophe in front of it. And if the apostrophe looks like we normally draw an apostrophe, um, then it's a soft beginning. You just pronounce the vowel. So it would be R, Mageddon in that case. But if the apostrophe faces backwards, it's telling you in the Greek language to harden the sound, which is to basically put an H in front of it. So instead of pronouncing it R, we would pronounce it Har. And that's very similar to Hebrew. So if we take this as Har, Mageddon, what we really have in Hebrew is Har is the Hebrew word for a mountain. And then we would have the location of Megiddo. Now it's interesting because Megiddo is not a mountain. So this place name means the mountain of Megiddo. But Megiddo is a very familiar place for the people of God. It is a place where many of their famous battles have taken place. Um, a, a plain or a valley where things often occurred. It's a crucial part um, of Israel's history. And so it's not unfitting. It actually is, is very fitting that the crucial battle, when other crucial battles have been fought in this location before, the crucial battle and on all of history will take place there as, as now, as part of this, when, when we talk about this text here. But again, it's a valley, and now it's being made into a mountain. So this is where I said you could ask your child a question. What battle happens? What battle has already happened between God and the devil? And where did that battle happen? And if they can't answer that question, let's rephrase it. What battle happened between God and Satan on a mountain? And if you end up having to give them another clue, it happened on a tree, a cross. So hopefully they get to it before you give them that much. But God and Satan, the ultimate battle between God and Satan occurred on the cross. When Jesus died to forgive all your sins, it stripped all of the devil's power away from him. He is now empty. He has nothing. Everything he had over you is gone. And that is why, then, as we look at a text like this, the transition between the sixth and the seventh bowl, where the battle has just been set, it never happens. It's already done. Why is it already done? Because Christ has already won on the cross. Har, Megiddon, flipping over this valley of Megiddo into a mountain of Megiddo, points us to the cross of Jesus Christ as he died on the cross to conquer this unholy trinity. They're done. It's already finished. It's a beautiful picture. Um, and it's quite a bit for us to chew on in the text here today. But a good conversation nonetheless. And, and as you look into the seventh bowl, then there are several things that can help you to think that way. Um, as we think of what happened to Jesus on the cross, reflect on Matthew chapter 27. The seventh bowl brings about an earthquake. It brings about uh, the, the splitting action, as uh, the rumblings 
the, the temple is mentioned. So in Matthew 27, as you read the account of Christ on the cross, you'll see a lot of those same words coming up. The temple curtain is torn into it, split from top to bottom, from God to man. There's an earthquake that tears open the, the tombs of the earth. Just a lot of similarities, strikingly so. I, I can't help but imagine that that is connected, uh, that that was an intentional move that God is making here for us to see. There is no final battle because it's already been done. It's already been won for you. And this is going to happen again in the book. Um, is it chapter 19 or chapter 20? Anyway, we're a couple of days away from it. We're going to see the same thing. They're going to build up to the great battle. And just like that, it's over. It never even happens. God is already triumphant. The devil is cast into the fiery pit. Done. So here we see man's pride in verse 19 is overthrown. The great city split. God remembers Babylon the great, so the enemies of the church, and he makes her drink the cup of the wine of his wrath, which is what we saw back in chapter 14, verses 17 through 20, his judgment on them. The islands flee, the mountains are gone, there's nowhere to hide, there's nowhere to escape in all of creation from this event. And then the hailstones are described as being 100 pounds apiece. Fortunately, creation has never seen an event like that. That would indeed be catastrophic to have that occur. So, so certainly some things to chew on here, the connections to the book of Exodus, the connections to Christ on the cross, um, even with a word like Armageddon. But the ultimate thing to cling to for us is that we know God has poured out his judgment. He has poured out his wrath upon the devil, upon the unholy trinity, and he has already defeated them. They may fight against the church today, but they cannot prevail against it because they are already beaten by Christ himself. And so in Christ, we place our trust and our hope because he has defeated sin, death, and the devil for you, and you get to live with him forever.